Hi everyone, Benjamin Smith here, pastor of Revealing Truth Ministries, Wesley Chapel. You know, God is always speaking good things to us and he has a word for you today, we are sure of it. Take some time out to listen and we'll be back as soon as we're done. God bless you. Family, let's pray. God, I thank you for each and every person here. We never take it for granted, this opportunity that we have to come and minister together. I pray that you give me your inner wisdom to speak life into each and every person and that everybody under the sound of my voice will get something out of the message today that they can use. They will be able to use this message and make their lives better immediately, not years from now, God, not months from now, not weeks from now. We don't want them to have to wait that long. We want this word to have immediate impact in their life. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Lift up your Bibles and say this confession with me. Say, this is my Bible. I can be what it says I can be. I can do what it says I can do. I can have what it says I can have. Every verse is God-breathed. And I aim to live by every word. It is essential to my faith foundation and works to change me from the inside out into the person God created me to be. That is why I shall never let it go. It is reliable. It is the truth. It is divine. It is the word of God and shall forever be to me my Bible. In Jesus' name, amen. We begin with our process image. It's an image you've seen before. The process reads like this, that if you want to obtain the mind of Christ, it involves more than just a simple mental change out. Not just going and changing your mind like you change oil in your car. It is the alignment of all parts of you with God such that our heart and soul influence, your heart and soul influence your mind to both think like God and govern your body to act godly. Last session concluded, bless you, last session concluded with an image. It was an image of your spirit, your renewed spirit. Now we're talking about a renewed spirit, so what are we talking about? Believers. Not talking about the regular old folk on the street. We talking about you. We at your front door. We at your step. We in your yard. Notice this image, the second image. What we said was that your reborn spirit, when the Holy Spirit touches your spirit, that spirit man, remember we're not talking about gender, we're not talking about age, the spirit man can be male, female, can be adult or a youth, that now God-centered spirit, it begins to pull your soul in the direction of God. However, loved ones, although your spirit man is buddy-buddy with God, your soul, even though it wants to go that way, your soul has embedded in it that intrinsic nature called the flesh. And your soul is attempting to make that transition, but your flesh is saying H to the no. I don't want to go. I do not want to go. Why? Because the flesh we have, we have defined as sense and reason without the Holy Spirit. And that light and dark is not going to exist in the same place. You're not going to get sweet water and the salt water to the fresh water and the salt water to come out of the same fountain. That flesh says, I do not want to go. And it does not want to go. Why? Because it does not care much about the things of God. Your flesh don't care. It doesn't care. And it says, well, it seems like to me we're getting ready to have ourselves an internal conflict. I'm going to declare war on this spirit man who, by the way, used to be on my squad. I'm going to declare war on that spirit man. And this war is one. I'm in it to win it. 
Now Paul, and we've read this before, but we're going to read it again today. Paul talks about an internal conflict in Romans 7. Listen to this. We're in the easy to read version. We're going to go Romans 7 verses 14 through 25. It reads like this. Paul writes, we know that the law is spiritual, but I am not. I am so human. Sin rules me as if I were its slave. I don't understand why I act the way I do. I don't do the good I want to do. I do the evil I hate. And if I don't, if I don't want to do what I do, that means I agree that the law is good. But I am not really the one doing the evil. It is the sin living in me that does it. You see that flesh. Yes, I know that nothing good lives in me. I mean, nothing good lives in the part of me that is not spiritual. I want to do what is good, but I don't do it. I don't do the good I want to do. I do the evil I don't want to do. So if I do what I don't want to do, then I am not really the one doing it. It is the sin living in me that does it. So I have learned this rule. When I want to do good, evil is there with me. In my mind, I am happy with God's law, but I see another law working in my body. That law makes war against the law that my mind accepts. That other law working in my body is the law of sin, and that law makes me its prisoner. What a miserable person I am. Who will save me from this body that brings me death? I thank God for his salvation through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So in my mind, I am a slave to God's law. But in my sinful self, I am a slave to the law of sin. Go back to verse 22 for me. I want you to notice something. Paul, in all of his, could just call it rambling there, I don't mean that offensively, but in all his chatter, he says in verse 22, in my mind, I am happy with God's law. In other words, up in my head, I know what God wants me to do. Right. Up here in, in the mind, of my, in my head, I know how God wants me to act. And mentally speaking, I'm okay with that. A quick note, we've been talking about the mind in our head and the mind in our soul. Whenever I say mind, if I don't specifically say mind in your soul, I mean the mind in your head, just in case I, I don't keep that, all those minds lit, locked, locked up in the right order. But in other words, he's simply saying, I know what God's law is, and I'm happy with that up in my head. Yet, as he's going to go for it and continue to let us know in verse 23, even though I know what God wants me to do, even though I know how God wants me to live, I still find myself on the losing side of a battle against something that's inside of me. That something, that opponent is the flesh. And that rascal beats me every time. As a matter of fact, it beats me so soundly, it beats me so good, it beats me so easily that it is clear to me that it is the master and I am a slave. It beats me, it, it, it whoops my tail so good, it, it lets me know, oh, it's the head, I'm the tail. The flesh is the captor and I'm its prisoner. Look at verse 23, it says, but I see another law working in my body. I know what's right in my head, but something else is going on here. That law makes war against the law that my mind accepts. That other law working in my body is the law of sin, and that law makes me its prisoner. There's a fight going on inside of me, and I continue to be on the losing side. Paul uses the pronouns I, my, and me. Check him out. But I see. Right? It, it's something that's working. It's, it's in my mind. It's in my body. It's something, it, it's, it's something that's making me. And when we see these personal pronouns, we could say, 
Well, Paul is talking about himself, but Paul's not just talking about himself. What Paul is expounding on here is something that is true to anybody, man or woman, that really takes a good, honest look at themselves and takes a moment and feels the conflict that they know that rages inside of them. He is talking not just to himself, but to every Roman to whom he's writing. And it don't stop there. It also applies to you and to me in our everyday, ordinary, walking around life. If we were honest with ourselves, we got that war going on. If you were honest with yourself, when you at home by yourself, ain't nobody but you, it's almost like you can audibly hear somebody else talking to you sometime. You talking about stuff to yourself, about stuff you know you should be doing, but you yourself can't get you to do it. It get loud in there when you by yourself sometime. The chatter. Why? There's an internal conflict. Generally speaking, family, I find that believers have a lot of head knowledge about what God wants them to do and how God wants them to live. Oh, yeah. The Bible has how many books in it? Sixty six. They even they they even have songs about it, rap songs. I got a clip of sixty six. You know, we, 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 talk, we talk about it. And for the most part, as believers, we're, we're familiar with our Bible. You're familiar with God, even if you're not a Bible scholar. If you've been a believer for any length of time, you, you, you got a good idea about what a disciple of Christ should look like. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15 in the King James Version. I want to just do some simple things to prove some things here because we, we take the Bible to heart and we have a lot of things that get locked and loaded in our head because you've just been in church so long. You've been hearing the preacher and you've been reading the Bible and your auntie and your grandma and everybody talk about different things. And it's just stuff that always comes out. This is one of them. Look at this. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. Before we even flash it up, some of you probably already know what it is. When it get up there, it's going to say study to show what? Oh, look at that. Look at that. Go ahead. Talk to me. What it say? Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Study to. And I, it, it says shoe. You know, we, we say show, but the, but the, but the king say, says shoe. I like that word. Study to shoe thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And when if, if you a believer anywhere close to, to worth your salt. When somebody told you that or you read that. You took that thing to heart and you said, you know what? I'm going to do my best to study the word and I'm going to divide that word of truth. Right. If 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 you honest, when you when you and it may have been when you first got out the gate. But at some point in time, you were like, I'm going to study my Bible. I'm on. I want to know who God wants me to be. Yeah. And you know what we do? We go out there and we get we get concordances and we get lexicons. And we learned about the Hebrew and we learned about the Greek. We break that thing down. We we oh, we learn. Oh, ooh, the names of God. You ain't no Christian if you can't call a Jehovah Nisi every now and then. But we learn all of that. We learn all of God's name from A to Z. We go to El Roy to El Shaddai. We go to Jehovah Nisi, to Jehovah Rapha, to Jehovah Rohi, to Jehovah Tiskanu, Makedish. You know, y y look at it. We go from Abba to Yahweh. From Adonai to Zur, the rock. We, 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 we spit out all this stuff. The truth is, our Bible trivia be on 10. 
we have a lot of things concerning the Bible up in our head. When you read that and somebody studied your so to self approve, you, you even wanted to make sure people knew you studied. At some point in time, even if you didn't crack your Bible, you got the biggest Bible you could and told it, told it around everywhere. You, you even told it in the word. People are like, oh, they always got their Bible. They must be a believer. You ain't cracked that thing open. The only time you cracked it open was at the bookstore when you would want to know how much it cost and you couldn't find the, the, the price on the back and you looked in it to make sure. It, but if you're Christian, work your salt anywhere, worship, anywhere near it. You literally tried at some point in time to understand how does God want me to live? Look at Psalm 119. Verses 15 through 16. This one is coming out of the voice version of the Bible. Because we all know, and I know we, we, we kind of joked about it a little bit here, but everybody don't study the Bible the same. And, and I'm, I'm talking in a general sense, meaning some people get in their word more than others. Everybody don't have, you know, we're going to try to find out what this word means in the Hebrew and the Greek. Some people, whatever they get in their mind when they read it, that's just good enough for them, and they just keep it pushing. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm just saying not everybody is going to spend time combing through the Bible in excruciating detail. It's just not going to happen if that's what you expect. And that's, you know what? That's a good expectation, but I don't think it's happening. The bottom line, though, is this. I believe that every believer had some kind of unction on the inside of them where they strive to get their actions and their thoughts aligned up with how they believe God wants them to be. And look at this psalm. This is in the voice translation of the Bible. It reads this way. Psalm 119, starting at 15, I will fix my mind on your instructions and my eyes on your path. I will find joy in your ordinances. I will remember your word forever. I believe that this song, this song, this psalm, that it reflects how the typical believer approaches, you know, trying to live their life like God wants them to live. They really try to fix their mind on his instructions. They really do try to keep their eyes on the path that God has for them in their life. I believe they really do. I know I really try to do that. In all they're doing, though, they tend to fall short. They tend to fall short because family, believe it or not, them falling short, it's not about or doesn't happen because they don't know what's right. Face it, we just kind of chatted a little bit about how people, they are familiar with what God wants. They don't, they don't fail because they don't know what's right. If, if I were to you know, stand up here and get on my soapbox like Paul did in, in Romans 7. I would I would say things to you like this from a believer standpoint, talking about myself, using my own personal pronoun, pronoun, I, me and my. I would say that. I was talking to my wife this morning. Quick sidebar. I was talking to my wife this morning and, and in talking to my wife, I, I I, every now and then, you know, I had one of those professors that always said, you know, as a, as a person, you should always be trying to expand yourself, meaning try to figure out different words to use. Like, don't just use the same word over and over and over again. In your writing, try to mix it up. I found a new word. I said, Greta, I found a new word. She said, what? I said, speechify. 
I never heard that. If somebody, if somebody had written that down, I would have told them that it's not a word. But it is. It's a word. Speechify. It, it means to, to expound. It means to, to, you know, pontificate. It means to, it, it means, yeah, that's, me and Reggie talked about that word. We're going to pontificate. You know, it, 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 it's, it's like you're going you gonna to exclaim some stuff. You're going to make your point. So, so if I was like Paul and I were going to get up here and speechify, we like to say testify, but we're going to change that thing up. Say speechify, pastor. That's what I'm talking about. We're going we gonna, to we gonna get a new word up in this thing. We gonna, if I were to be like Paul in Romans 7 and speechify, here's what I would tell you. As a believer, I know that the Bible tells me that I should love God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind. And you know what? Up in my head, I'm good with that. I know that the Bible tells me that I should love my neighbor as myself. And you know what? Up here in the upper resources, recesses of my mind, I'm cool with that. I know that the Bible tells me that I should treat my spouse with respect. That I should raise my children up in the way that they should go. I know this. I know that it tells me that I should give to those who are less fortunate than I. I, I. I know that. It's logged up. It's logged up in my head. I know that I'm supposed to take care of my body and keep it in good health. Hey, look, I know that I'm not supposed to be in traffic and let that person in the car in front of me get my temper so high that I pass them by doing 50, 50 miles per hour over the speed limit and flick them the bird. I know I'm not supposed to do that. I know I'm not supposed to do that. Why? Because I study to show myself approved unto God, a workman that needs not be ashamed. And even if I don't study, I've been in church long enough to where people have told me things. And then I know in general how God expects me to act. I know I'm supposed to love and bless and and pray for. And, 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 and do for all those things that Jesus said. I'm supposed to love my enemies. I'm supposed to what? What? Do good to them that hate me. I'm supposed to what? Bless them that curse me. I'm supposed to pray for them that mistreat me. One version says that despitefully use me or something like that. I'm supposed to turn the other cheek if you slap me. and You know, that's hard for me. If you if, if you take me to court and take my coat, I'm supposed to give you up my shirt too. or take my shirt. I give you my coat. I'm supposed to give you more. Even, you, even though you stole from me, give you more. What, what? What? Just take this, too. I know all that in my head. And I don't have a problem with that. I know this. Why? Because it's up here. I've read it. However, family. Although I am well versed in the ideal that God sets for me, I continue to fall short of those expectations. Disturbingly, I have a lot of Bible up in my head. And I still find myself missing the mark. I have committed to memory Volumes and volumes and volumes of the word. And yet I still find myself missing the ideal that God has set for me. I have God's volumes in my mind and I still act contrary to every volume that I know. There are so many, so many verses of scripture that we have just been indoctrinated with. Let's put it that way. Don't know if that's the right word. But we're going to run with it. You get it right. That we have been meaning that have just hit our eardrums so often that we can spit those things out without even thinking about the power they contain. Without even thinking about what it really means. It's just, it's almost like a flashcard. 
Every time I get a situation, what flashcard am I going to pull out? Here, devil, here's this flashcard. And he's like, you don't believe that. But it's, 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 it's what we do. It's, it's, we, let, let me show you a couple of them. I'm going to give you the book, chapter, and verse. And more than likely, believer, churchgoer, Christian, you going to know it. Before, it show, before we show it, I meant to rhyme that. You're going to know it before we show it. I really didn't, but it sounded good. <laughs> You're going to know it before we show it. And get this. Even if you don't know it, when I say book, chapter, and verse, when we start reading it or you see it, you're going to know it. Here we go. Y'all ready? All right. See, see if they get it before it come up. John 3.16. Oh, look at y'all. <laughs> Put it up on the screen for I think we're working with the NIV on this one. You started it. Let's read that. Go. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. All right, all right, all right, all right, all right. We, we good, we good. All right, a little bit, a, a, a different one. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Yeah, that, all things work. All things work, 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 work. All things work. <laughs> you ready? Let's go. And we know that all things work. God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Exactly. And I know it's different verbs we have in our head. So that's why, you know, you saying it from memory, but you got it. I know you got it. But yeah, it just spit out. He got he go another one. Uh, uh, almost a cousin, a neighbor. They in stones throw from each other. Romans chapter 8, verse 37. What's that one? Go ahead, throw that one up. They're going to they gonna hurt. The, ah, look at that. Oh, look at they say, oh. That's a staple. That's a staple. Ready? Go. No. In all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. It, we, those, those are just staples, things that, what, they're baked into your mind. You've read them so much. You've heard them so much. they just in there. They are a part of your Christian makeup. They make up the fabric of who you are as a believer. And you couldn't forget them if you tried, even though you may not be able to pick them out of the Bible. If somebody gives you book, chapter, and verse, the moment they give you, you know, I name that tune in, in, in three, three notes. The moment they start off with, say, all things. Oh, I got it. All things work together for the good. Loved ones, though. Let me show you this image. Those verses of scripture that we just read. John three sixteen. We know it. We know that John three sixteen says God so loved the world. He so loved the world that he gave. And we can quote John three sixteen in the a.m. But be knee deep in sin by three sixteen p.m. Let it let it rest. Let let that rest on your mind. We know that Romans chapter eight, verse 28, say all things work together for the good. We can quote that thing in the a.m., but we be knee deep in anxiety by 828 p.m. We might say that all things work together for the good, but when we're in our situation and we're looking at the circumstance and we don't think God going to show up and we wonder why he ain't showed up yet, doggone it, by 8.28 p.m., we didn't left all of that Romans 28, 8 and 28 in the morning and we knee deep in anxiety and worry and concern by 8.28 p.m. Romans 20, Romans 8.37, we are more than conquerors. We say that in the morning with our coffee. 
for some of us, tea and cornbread. For some of us, a little biscuit and gravy. It depends on how country you are, you get grits and gravy. I don't know if you ever did that. See, in the country, they would make Sunday dinner on Sunday morning. And so we got to kind of mix and match. So when they was making that cube steak gravy or that roast gravy and we had them grits that was too buttered up for your doctor to know, we go ahead and, mama, put some of that gravy on that bad boy. And, and so whatever you doing, when you're reading Romans 8, 37, and you are confessing and professing that I am more than a conqueror, somehow between 837 when you read it in the morning and 837 in the PM, you went from being a conqueror to all of a sudden you screaming defeat. All of these things that you have in your head, all the things that I have in my head, they should stick with you for the whole day, not just when you read them for the first time. But we are proficient in gospel intelligentsia. Speechify, pastor. Paul says that I'm good with the law in my mind. I know what God tells me I should do. I can read the rules for myself. I'm literate. But somehow inside of me, I continue to lose this battle against this thing that's on the inside of me that's working a different law. John 3.16 in the morning, knee deep in sin by 3.16 in the afternoon. Romans 8.28 in the morning and worried out of your mind by 8.28 p.m. Romans 8.37 in the morning and already calling yourself a loser by 8.37 p.m. We are proficient at gospel intelligentsia. Our brains are stuffed with information about the Bible, with information from the Bible. We know a lot about the good book. We know a lot about the good book, but guess what? Even with the good book in our hands, we continue to fail the open book test. You continue to fail. I continue to fail. Why? Because we continue to try to rely on the things that we know. And for a believer, that can be baffling. It can be baffling to know so much word and to still feel like you're defeated. It can be baffling to know so much of your Bible and still feel like your flesh get the best of you every time. It can be downright baffling until that believer, whether he or she, they finally realize they are not losing because of what the mind in their head does not know. Everything that's in their mind, all the information that they have, it's, it's, it's not like you've missed the verse. It's not like maybe there's a part of the Bible that I should be reading. Maybe I should, you know, Get in my habaka every now and then and not be so much into Matthew, Mark and Luke. Maybe a little Daniel, maybe some Jew. My God, when was the last time I even cracked open Malachi? It's it's not that you necessarily need to go and find another revelation from God in your Bible. flesh gets the best of you every time. And for a believer, it can be a baffling reality until, until you and I as a believe, as believers come to the reality 
that we are not losing, we are not failing because of what the minds in our head does not know. We fail because of who the mind of our spirit does not know. You don't study, you don't, you don't, you don't, you can't study it off. You're not losing the battle against the flesh because of what you don't know up here. It's because who the mind of your spirit doesn't know. I want you to say this with me. Give me this image. We're going to say two things back to back. The fact is this, family. Say this with me. Ready, read. If you aim to be more like God, mental assent is not enough. Mental agreement, mental understanding, mental grasping is not enough. We talk about having the mind of Christ. Well, why are you going to have the mind of Christ if it's not to be more like God? To get more in his will, to get more in his flow. To, to get your flesh in check, to make sure every aspect of you lines up with who he wants you to be. But no matter how much you can't study yourself that much. If you aim to be more like God, mental assent is not enough. You need something deeper. You need to go a little more underground with it. What is that? Next image. Say this with me. Ready? Go. You must let the Holy Spirit, who is now in fellowship with your spirit, touch the mind of your soul and invoke a true change within you. You, you, you can't just be a student of the word, but not be changed within. Because Paul says, the law in my mind is clear. I know what I'm supposed to be doing, but obviously just having mental capacity to understand it is not good enough to keep me from doing those things that I don't want to do and to drive me to do the things I know I should be doing. Look at Ephesians chapter four. Let's continue with this. Verses 23, verse 23. It reads this way. King James Version. Understanding that we have to go deeper. We have to let the Holy Spirit touch the mind of our soul. It reads this way and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. You see that? Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Now, I want you to look at that closely, loved ones, because what it doesn't say is it doesn't say to be renewed in your mind. It says to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. What is it saying there? You need to be renewed in those areas that undergird, underscore, that, that are the reason behind the things that go to your behavior of your mind. You need to be renewed in those things that underscore your mind's behavior. You need to be renewed. Here we go. Benjamin Smith insert. We've already talked about what your soul is. So be renewed in the way you allow your feelings to drive the way that you think. Be renewed in the way you allow your feelings to drive what you say. Be renewed in the way that you allow your feelings to drive what you're doing, what you're saying, how you talk about people. Be renewed in that. Be renewed in the way you allow your emotions to drive what you think. Be renewed in the way you allow your emotions to drive what comes out of your mouth and what you do. 
Be renewed in the way you select your passions. Be renewed in what you devote yourself to. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind in all the things that undergird your behavior of the mind in your head. In other words, it's saying be renewed in the spirit of your soul. The mind of your soul got caught up in spirit world there. When it's saying be renewed in the spirit of your mind, it's saying be renewed in the mind of your soul and let that renewal come through your spirit. Mental assent is not enough. You need a renewal. Ephesians is saying, if you want to be renewed in your mind, you have to renew the thing that influences your mind. That's the mind of your soul. Just stuffing your head with the word will not get it done. You must, you must have that task done through the spirit. That renewal task there is not done through your much learning. It's done by allowing the spirit man to influence from the inside out. Your mental ascent is not enough because the flesh is too strong to succumb to mere willpower. Your flesh too strong for you to just want to. Why? Oh, because it want to, too. It's got to want to. And remember, your flesh is in your soul. It is in the sensory part of you. It's getting input from all your five senses and that flesh, it craves the things that are of this world. What does the Bible tell us in first John chapter two? Amplified classic. Chapter two, verses 15 through 16. It's another one that, you know, but I'm just going to read it to you. Because that 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 flesh being nestled in your soul in that sensory region, it, it, it wants what it wants. It reads this way. First John, chapter two, amplified classic, starting in verse 15. Do not love or cherish the world or the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh craving for sensual gratification and the lust, lust of the eyes, greedy longings of the mind and the pride of life, assurance in one's own resources or in the stability of earthly seeing things. These do not come from the father, but are from the world itself. The lust of the fresh flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. They come, they come, they, they come from the world itself. The, the flesh loves that stuff. Now, these verses here, you'll notice that it only mentions the lust of the, that flesh. It only says flesh one time. But don't don't get it twisted. Both of those lusts, lust of the flesh and lust of the eyes and that pride of life, they all originate from the flesh. Although they don't have to, they don't say flesh each time. All of those things originate from the fleshly part of your soul. Each and every one of them. That is why. When Paul says, I, I see a war in me. We read that because that is a parallel to what we're talking about. I contend that there is a conflict that goes on in the bodies of each believer. And you've heard that conflict in the in the room by yourself. That conflict is in work with you because you know in your head what God says, but 
that sensual parts of you wants to do something totally different. Simply stated, the flesh and your spirit are playing tug of war with your mind. If you would, take me back to my second image. They're playing tug of war with your mind. Your flesh and your spirit are in a battle to control that mind in your head. And we're not, we're not just walking past the heart. From previous sessions, you already know where the heart fits in. The information that you're passionate about, it flows to the heart before it gets to the brain. The heart provides that boost. But the end all of it is to control the dude that tell your body what to do. It's wanting to control it. And your spirit man and your flesh are having a tug of war with your mind. And sense and reason from the Holy Spirit is a fundamental element that you need for victory. But without that sense and reason for the Holy, from the Holy Spirit, if you just keep it at mental ascent, if you never ever get that spirit involved and give it a louder voice, then that flesh will continue to have unobstructed power to tell your mind what to tell your body to do. And for the believer who knows a lot of words, Losing to the flesh so often can be frustrating and confusing. It's frustrating and confusing because get this, you know better. You know better. And once you know better, but you do it anyway. Can't nobody beat you up like you beat you up. Can't nobody make you feel bad as long as, as you can yourself. I want to show you something. Give me, give me my, my final image because I want to talk about a believer who has an internal battle with alcoholism. Let's, 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 let's try to put a bow on this thing. Let's try to drive it home. A believer, a person that knows God, that knows what God wants from them, that knows they got word in them. That individual, they know the practical, fundamental solution to that problem is to what? Do not drink anymore. They know the answer in their head. And they're a believer. So back with what they know in their head about just don't drink anymore. They know what God says about them and their temple and their body. And don't be a drunkard. They, they know all of this stuff. They also know all the different things that come along with it. Why? Because they've been fighting this battle long enough. They've been to they've been to the AA. <laughs> they didn't had their, you know, preacher auntie tell them they should put you should put that bottle down. They, they've, they've, they've heard it all. In addition to just knowing the practical fundamental solution is to not drink anymore. They also know that comes with this. Not purchasing anymore. Don't purchase any more alcohol. Do not allow alcohol in your home. Stay away from bars or places that sell alcohol. They know all these fundamental things. Distance yourself from acquaintances who will be enablers. Let's pause right there. Many of us have things that we battle in our lives and we haven't yet girded ourselves up with the courage to get those enablers out of our life. Well, she is my friend. She is an enabler. 
Well, he is my friend. Doggone it, he is an enabler. It's always odd to me that whenever you seem to fall, you got your friend with you. A real friend would not be an enabler. Call them whatever you want to, but don't give them the label of a friend. Friends don't get you in trouble. Friends don't help you get yourself in a bad place. We either need to change your definition of a friend or give you the courage to tell that friend that if until they can't until they can be a friend, they cannot be in your space. But they know these things as alcoholic. They're fighting it. They know they should distance themselves from acquaintances who are enablers. They know to have an accountability person. Somebody to call when they feel like they're getting on edge. They know all this stuff. You ain't got to tell them. They know it better than you. All of this stuff is in their mind and they have every intention to comply. And then the flesh start calling. The flesh calls them. It can be one in the afternoon. It can be six o'clock at night. It can be two in the morning. If that flesh tells them at two in the morning to get up, they can do everything in their power to stay in bed. But before they know it, before they know it, they're up in their house searching for a bottle. And now get this. They've already gone through this. So they know that they've already purged the house from all the liquor, from all the beer. There is nothing there, but that flesh gets them up. Why? Because it wants them to search every coat pocket, every box, under every bed, because pray tell, you might have missed one. And they're up searching, and guess what? While they're up searching, they feel as if they're a prisoner in their own body because they're telling themselves, I shouldn't be doing this. When they don't find anything, the flesh says, that's okay. Go get your keys. Get your purse. Get your wallet. And get this. Those pajamas you got on, that's fine. That's not the important thing right now. So they get their stuff. They head to their car. On the way out, cell phone in their hands. They know they have an accountability person. They go to call it. The person's contact information shows up on the phone. And the flesh say, don't do that. You don't want to do that. What you really want to do is go get me this drink. They know if they call that person, that person can talk them down. Don't call them this time in the morning. You, the flesh is talking. Every sensory organ, all the cravings, all the withdrawals is putting it on 10. We don't want you to call that person and they don't call them. They get in the car to get to that store as they're walking down the aisle, picking out their favorite drink. They feel as if I should not be doing this. It's like they're watching a movie about them and they're on the outside and they have no control over what their body's doing in their mind. They know all that what they're supposed to do. They get that bottle, they pay it, they get back to the house. They sit there and look at it for a while. They don't open the top and the flesh say, you better twist that thing open. And they sit there in tears because they know they shouldn't be doing it. They don't even know how they got this far. They're an emotional wreck until they twist the bottle. Just put it to your lips. That liquid poison, boom, goes down. Liquid bondage, I should say, better. As it goes down in their throat, whether the eyes roll back in the top of their mouth and they exhale, exhale. And they're back to drinking again. But it's not them in their mind, it's the flesh that's in them. And the flesh that's in them, as they watch themselves from the outside, now their self-esteem starts to tumble again. Mm 
because they can't believe they allowed themselves to do that again, to be in that position again. We can call it alcoholism. We can call it addiction to sex. We can call it addiction to, to, to lying. We can call it addiction to using bad language. We can call it an addiction to stealing. We can call it anything. Hey, get this, get this, get this. Here we go. It, it's going to hit you. We can call it procrastination. We can call it being lazy. We can call it being slothful. Every time somebody asks you to do something, you know God wants you to get out and help people and do stuff. I'm not talking about just church. I'm talking about get out and be a productive part of your community and let your light so shine. But you know what? I've been working all day. My feet hurt. I ain't going to do it. I'm going to just sit here and turn on TV and just wait for tomorrow. Where you want me to go? Girl, that's way across town. Ain't nobody going way over there. Somebody else will do it. My mama be all right. I'll see her next week. We always try to attach it to a vice. But a vice can be my behind just lazy. So we can attach this to anything. And then you look back on it and you wonder, why did I or didn't I do what I was supposed to do? Because the driver in you is stronger than your willpower. Mental ascent is not enough. Mental ascent does not get it done. So you sit there and you lay there emotionally broken based on what you've done or what you didn't get done for whatever reason. And you know what? You looking at yourself in the mirror based on the circumstances and the outcome and you don't even recognize yourself. Your own reflection is a mystery to you. In the Passion Translation, Paul says this in that same Romans seven that we read. Verse 15. Listen to what he says. I'm a mystery to myself. For I want to do what's right, but end up doing what my moral instincts condemn. I'm a mystery to myself. I don't want to be a slave to my flesh, but I keep ending up being a slave to myself, to my flesh. And when I look at myself and what I did and knowing I shouldn't have done it and knowing what God wants me to do because it's in my head, I know, have knowledge of it, doggone it. I'm a mystery. I don't even know the person looking back at me. Because the person looking back at me looks like the same person that knows all this stuff about God, but somehow can't seem to get it done. Right. As with our alcoholism example, mental knowledge won't, 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 won't stop you from doing what your flesh wants to do. It won't. Mental ascent is not enough. And when we're talking about overcoming the flesh, being highly learned about God and his word alone is not enough to overcome the flesh. Under those circumstances, the flesh can still motivate your body to do what God opposes. Say this with me. Say mental ascent is not enough. I need, I need more, more to, win. to win. What I need, what I need is, a champion is a spiritual champion on my side. On my side. I, need I need to be led, to be led by, the by the sense and reasoning of the Holy Spirit. That's what you need. It does not matter, loved ones, about how many Verses you read, how many books you consume in your Bible. And I'm not saying that's not important, and we'll, we'll get to that. And you, those of you who've, who've, who've 
know me long enough, I'm sure I'm, I'm not talking about that. I love, I love. This is our Bible. We say it every time we before we get started. So that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, but if you depend on your mental ascent to move you towards God without getting the spirit of God involved, without allowing the Holy Spirit to do what he do, you're going to fail. But you know what? More on that next time. Let's pray. God, I thank you that when it comes to your word, we do aim to be students of it. God, but beyond being a student of your word, we want to be individuals that give the Holy Spirit free reign. If we expect to be changed from the inside out, it starts with the mind of our soul being renewed. Renewed in the effect we allow our feelings and emotions to have on us. Renewed in where we put our passions and devotions. Your word is so correct that the change we need is not from the mind down, but from the soul up. We so thank you for your son who gave, who gave us the opportunity to be engrafted in the family. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to get to know you better. And we accept that opportunity seriously and for real. And we will do our part to from this day forward. Really give a true effort to get closer to your spirit. It's in Jesus name that we pray. Amen. Well, that's what God had to say to us today. We pray that it blessed you. As always, we pray that the word of God blesses you, not just years from now or months from now or weeks from now, not even days from now, but we pray that you got something out of the message today that would change your life immediately. God bless you and look forward to chatting with you next time.